Good morning, Transit family. How's everyone doing today? We good? Feel free to grab your seat, get ready for the sermon as I work on figuring out this microphone. How's everyone doing today? I heard we were praying in, in uh, one of our prayer rooms earlier before the service, and Don had a great line talking about still basking in the glow of Easter. Uh, I thought that was beautiful, and I hope you guys have been uh, basking in everything that is ours in Christ Jesus and our victorious King. And so today, uh, we are continuing our sermon series in Ephesians. We're going to be in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, if you want to open your Bibles and turn to that passage. And a quick recap of where we've been so far. If uh, you've been with us for the last few weeks and you've read Ephesians before, you know that Ephesians 1, all the way up into even our passage today, is Paul essentially proclaiming with a hoarse voice uh, to the Ephesian believers everything that God has done for them in Christ Jesus. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that would be holy and blameless before him. In love. So he just goes on this rant, right? And it keeps going. We talked about it, and almost like the, the final crescendo was last week when we talked about Ephesians 2, 4 through 8. And about God's great love for us. How we who were dead in our sins and trespasses, thanks to Jesus Christ, we've been made alive. We've been raised up. And we've actually been seated with Christ in the heavenly places. So Paul's been talking about, this is what God has done. Open up your eyes. Can you see how good God is? How real he is? How kind he is in giving his son Jesus to save us and to make us alive. And now what we're talking about today, our text is a little bit of a pivot. He's saying, essentially, how then do we respond on the other side of the free gift of salvation? How do we respond? What, what do we do on the other side of receiving that gift? So you all are going to help me preach this uh, Sunday morning, and I want you all to shout out your favorite Christmas gift you got as a kid. What was it? Some of your best top, top gift that your parents gave you for Christmas. What did you get? Scooter? A big wheel. A tiny what? Oh, baby doll. I was like, you got to help me out, Ev. I don't know what that is. Tell me something I would know. Okay, just kidding. <laughs> yeah, so we got Scooter, we got a big wheel, we got baby doll, right? Let's go with the big wheel for this illustration. Thank you guys for your participation. So as a kid, you're anticipating Christmas, you have your wish list, and, and you're just, man, I know it wouldn't be deserved, I know I don't deserve this gift, but you've been praying, you've been asking, maybe you've been dropping hits to your parents, and all of a sudden the day comes and you see this massive box. And man, it's that two-door Jeep Wrangler power wheel that you've been hoping your parents would give you. And when you open that gift, what happens? Man, you just are overwhelmed with the kindness of your parents, right? You're, you're bawling. You run to your parents. You embrace them. You, you hug them for this undeserved free gift of a Jeep Wrangler as a little kid, right? This little power wheel. And, uh, and then some things change, though, right? Because all of a sudden in the neighborhood, you're, you're rolling around in some new wheels, Right? And so what was once gratitude, I don't deserve this, oh my gosh, thank you so much, your heart returns to the giver of the gift, all of a sudden you kind of got to upgrade. Your, your, uh, your social status with all the neighborhood kids has kind of increased. And they're asking, yo, where did, you, where did you get this gift? What happened? Where did you get this? And all of a sudden you're like, well, I mean, I earned it, you know, for being like my, my dad's favorite son. I earned this. This, this wasn't a gift, this was my due, Right? And then, hey, can I, can I hop in? There's a two-seater. And you smack his hand away. Don't you dare touch my, don't you dare touch my power wheel. I just polished this thing, right? This is mine. I'm going sh- to keep this to myself. And the reason I share that is um, I was going to go a different direction this, this sermon, but the Lord highlighted something to me, and this is the direction I feel like, I hope that, that I felt like the Lord was leading me in, is there in our text today is a verse that at first glance you kind of gloss over, right? Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Hopefully you guys have memorized that. We all know this if you grew up in the church, right? For by grace you've been saved. We, we, we covered verse 8 last week, so we're going to focus on verse 9 and 10 primarily. But there's this line that says this. Your salvation, you being restored back to fellowship with God, your sins being nailed to the cross, and you're restored back to the source of life, which is God. That is not a work of your hands. It's a gift of God. And then there's this line that says, so that no one can boast so that no one may boast. And now listen, I was wrestling with that, and I was like, that's so weird, right? Like you only, like if you throw in a line about like no one's boasting, like it's almost as if Paul uh, stamps like a disclaimer or a warning label 
on the victory we enjoy in Christ Jesus. Because when do you need to tell people not to boast, right? On the other side of a great victory that they just won, right? Like growing up playing t-ball, right? And you just crushed the opposing team and the bully from school is on the opposing team and you just mercy ruled them 20 nothing. You're getting ready to shake hands and you got some lines and then it's not a good game, right? And you're about to go over there and you're about to say, yo, we just won this victory. I'm about to say some stuff to you. And the coach rallies everyone and says, no boasting, right? No boasting, you stay humble. You stay humble. And, what, and so what Paul's heart here for the Ephesian believers is as he's been just, I mean, I mean, Ephesians 1 is beautiful, right? You should get it all just tattooed on your back. And I mean, just like Ephesians 1 is just beautiful. Him singing, proclaiming, praising, praying about that we would just, uh, verse 18, we'd have our eyes open to see what is actually ours in Christ Jesus, the power, the love, the grace, the mercy. And Paul's saying, hey, I want to make sure you Ephesian believers who are seven years into this, he left. Remember Paul at Ephesus, he left. Uh, that church plant the, 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 for two years from 53 to 55 AD. He was there. He was making disciples. He was planting churches in and around Ephesus, and he leaves. And seven years later, he's writing this letter. And around 62 AD, he's in prison in Rome. So there's seven degrees, seven, not seven degrees, <laughs> seven, <laughs> seven years of separation of these Ephesian believers from their new birth in Christ Jesus. Out of, remember, go read Acts 19 what was happening in Ephesus, there was lots of witchcraft, there's lots of sexual immorality, there's lots of demonic oppression and bondage, and a lot of these folks were probably delivered, were probably set free, and Jesus gave them a brand new life, but now seven years following Jesus, and actual real change has come into their lives, and that which bound them doesn't, hasn't bound them anymore, and maybe now, like, their life has entirely changed, and all of a sudden, maybe they've forgotten how they ended up where they're at. And what Paul's saying, I want to make sure you steward salvation well. And that's my title of our message today is um, stewarding our salvation. We don't earn salvation, but we receive it, and we have a responsibility to steward it well. So we're going to be looking at three things on how to steward our salvation. The three points of my talk are this. Don't lose the giver in the gift. Don't steal credit for the gift. And don't let the gift stop with you. These are some of the three primary ways I think we see from our text, ways that we can steward the free gift of salvation that God has given us. So let's read Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. I'll pray, and we will dive in. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray. Lord, all eyes on you this morning. The only reason we're here in this room, Jesus, professing your name, singing to you, is because you first sought after us. You came for us, God. I thank you for all the stories of lives changed forever. Lord God, this is your glorious inheritance. Sinners brought back to life. Sinners welcome to your table to feast with you. Church being reconciled to each other and to you. And so God, we, we cry out. We want you to be glorified. We want you to receive all the glory that's through your name. So Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you reveal to us the, the depths of your love for for us? Would you show us Jesus? Would you break off distractions, God? Would you break off lies this morning? And we open up our hearts to you. We, we just ask God, living God, by your spirit, by your word, have your way in my heart. Have your way in my mind this morning, God. Lord, I can, I can stand up here and give three points, give a great sermon, or maybe a terrible sermon, but if you're not present, if you're not moving by your spirit, nothing happens. And so we just say, come Holy Spirit, have your way. We're not here for a cool message. We're not here to do uh, our Christian duty of attending church. We're here to fix our eyes on you, Jesus, to become more like you and to be your ambassadors to the world that desperately needs the hope and the salvation and the healing that we found in you, Jesus. So Lord, have your way. Would you increase and would I decrease? We pray this in your name. Amen. Our first point, don't lose the giver in the gift. And so in, in our text in verse 8, it says this is not your own doing, this salvation by grace. We talk, again, we talked about verse 8 last week. But it is a gift of God. And let me just say this, the gift of salvation 
is you being forgiven of your sins. Amen, hallelujah. The Lamb of God who was slain, who taketh away the sins of the world. But it's not just that, right? The, the, the gift of salvation is not that you just get salvation from your sins, but you get a savior. You get a shepherd to know, to love, and to follow, meaning this, God is the gospel. The gospel is that we get restored into right relationship with God who created us. We came from God, and we were created for God to be in a vibrant, life-changing, personal relationship with him. And where sin severed that connection to the living God, Jesus took the hit, took our sins for us, and reconnected us, reconciled us back to God the Father. So God is the gospel. The good news of salvation is that we get God. We get to know him. We get to love him. We get to follow him. And then the flip side of that, you go a step further. We talked at length about this last week. If you didn't listen to last week's message, I encourage you to listen to it. It's building upon uh, this one. This one's being built upon that one. And the flip side of the gospel too, from God's perspective, is that God gets us. We get God and God gets us, right? In our, in our text today in verse 10, there's this line, for we are his. Before we finish workmanship, we need to first say, hey, let's stop, let's stop right there. We are his. And if we were to reverse that and see it from God's perspective, God's refrain over you and I would be, you are mine. You belong to me. I've bought you with my blood. I gave my life so that I could bring you back home so that I could be your God and you could be my people. That's the refrain of the scripture and the good news of the gospel. And this is what we talked about uh, again, last week, just doing a recap, is that what we looked at was this idea of God's love for us, and that love always chases after the object of its affection. Love always runs and seeks and chases after the object of its affection. So some of the verses we looked at last week describing the indescribable, inexplicable, immeasurable love of God for us was Ephesians 2.4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, not marginal love, not obligatory love, oh, I guess i got to love these these pagans, you know, ah, I gotta say, yeah, I'm God, I got to do it. No, he's saying, I'm rich in love. I'm great in my love. We talked about that Brennan Manning quote. You have better luck holding a measuring cup to Niagara Falls and thinking you can contain the love of God for you, the grace of God for you. That's eternal, which leads us to Ephesians 2.7. So that in the coming ages, God wants to show you something. The gospel is we get God and that God gets us so that now he can show us. What does he want to show us? The immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus in the coming, for all of eternity, in the coming ages, God wants to show you what he's like in his heart posture towards you. That's wild. And the reason I emphasize that is on the other side of the free gift of salvation is a God eagerly longing for you to, to come close. A God eagerly longing to comfort you in your suffering, to enter into your brokenness and begin to heal your pain. A God who, 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 just, who just wants to come and speak with you and lead you and guide you and get invited into all the details, all the mess in your life. That's God's heart. And that's why Jesus, that was the joy set before Jesus was, was you and I walking in fellowship with him. That's how this whole, this whole book starts and ends. It starts with God walking in the garden in the cool of day with man, and it ends in Revelation with the, the dwelling place of God is with man and man with God. That where you are is where God wants to be, so much so that he'd give his son so that he can fill you with his spirit and that we could be the place where God lives, the temple of God. It's the church, the place where God dwells in us and among us. And if we miss that, if we miss that, the reason I'm just honing in on that, if we miss that, we miss the point of our salvation, and often we kind of, we, we make our salvation kind of about the gift and not the giver of the gift. And the chief end of our lives becomes this. I now need, now that Jesus has called me my name and he's forgiven me of my sins and he's restored me to God, the chief end of my life is, you know what? I'm going to be a good Christian. And what do good Christians do? They pray, they go to church, they pay their taxes, they pay their tithes, right? Maybe some of y'all, it's April, ooh, touchy subject, sorry. We'll have a prayer team up front if you need, if you need prayer after the service. <laughs> right? That's like, what a lame chief end. Come on. We've been redeemed for so much more than that. We get to know the living God. That's the chief end of man. It's to know God and enjoy him and glorify him forever. That's amazing. And so often we give advice. So, okay, now that you've come to know Jesus, okay, pray. You've got to pray. That's what Christians do. You have to read your Bible. Who's, who's absent from that? Those commands I just gave? God. 
There's other faith that do the same thing. They read a holy text and they pray, but they're, but they're not praying to the living God, the real God. And instead, man, you want to get people to pray. Whoo, my goodness, you just teach them about what prayer is. Hey, you're entering by the name of Jesus confidently before the throne of grace, the king of glory. You, get, you enter in. You're going somewhere, and he hears your prayer. And then when you begin to pray and invite him into just silly prayers that you don't want to pray for provision, and you see him answer those prayers, you can't stop praying. Oh, my gosh. Instead of prayer, like going to the DMV and like, oh, I'm going to do that. It's like, no, once you see he's alive, and he hears, and he moves, and he speaks, you can't stop praying. Praying without ceasing is your life. Because he's alive. He's with you by his spirit. It's the most amazing thing on the planet Earth to know Jesus. And to be filled with this spirit and be led and guided by him. We have the best chief end of our lives is not just being, and I'm saying, I'm not saying don't pray. I'm not saying don't read your Bibles. Please come to church and please pay your taxes. I don't want to minister to you in jail, all right? Those are great things. Those are great things. But our faith isn't mastering practices. It's knowing a living person who's alive. What did we celebrate last week? He was resurrected. Right? He's not dead. He's not in the grave. He's alive. He's with us. He's among us. And um, if we miss it, we take salvation, and instead of running to our Savior in fellowship and communion, we take our salvation and we run from him, and we make it about church and doing church well, rather than about knowing God and advancing his kingdom. So it's about king, and it's about kingdom, and the way that king and kingdom is, king is glorified and the kingdom advances is through the church. But it's not just about doing church really well and being good churchy and Christians. It's about knowing Jesus and going where Jesus is going. And by the way, his feet are often out, going, going outside the four walls of the church and not staying in here. He is here. He loves you. He, he, he's doing amazing things here. And he's also doing amazing things outside these four walls. But this is what I want to share in Luke 19, 11 through 19 to um, illustrate this. This is Jesus healing um, 10 individuals who are suffering from leprosy. Leprosy was essentially a death sentence. You were ostracized from community. It was kind of like, man, you got COVID, but COVID for life, and you had a quarantine for your entire life. And you were, you were ostracized from the community, whether you were married, had kids, job, like you lost, you literally lost everything, and you lost your family, your friends, your community, your vocation, and then you're in a leper colony, and um, you can't get near anyone because you don't want them to get what you got, okay? On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was passing along between Samaria and Galilee, and as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voice, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when Jesus saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, at the word of Jesus, they were cleansed. As they went, they were cleansed. They were healed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, now this had really happened. Imagine that. You've been suffering from leprosy. You've, leprosy. you've lost everything. And all of a sudden, you're going back and say, hey, he said it. And then all of a sudden, your, your fingers, your limbs begin to move. Your skin is restored, right? And it, what we'll see in this parable is that some folks responded differently at that moment. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. I'm sure there was snot involved. There were sobs involved. It was loud. This was an ugly cry. And now he was a Samaritan. And then Jesus answered, we're not 10 cleansed. Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and, and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. We'll talk more about uh, Jew, Gentile, inclusion to the gospel next week when we talk to you about Ephesians 2, 11 through 12. So we'll talk more about that idea of, of, of the people of God and this foreigner receiving salvation and healing. But what's so fascinating is that nine individuals took their healing and they ran away from the healer, full sprint. And then one person received it and boom, returned back. And it's interesting that the nine other folks, you say go to the priest, essentially go to the synagogue, go to church, and like we're going to church. And the Samaritan's like, I gotta go to Jesus right? And again, I'm not trashing the church. I'm not trying to, like, I'm not trying to have the pinata be the church. I'm just saying it's, it's so much more. The church is here. We're gathered to actually sing to a living king. When we sing songs today, we're singing to a living person who's changed us and healed us and wants to continue to use us for his glory. And so my heart, my question before we move on to my second point is this, is where is your heart today? And would you pray this prayer that I've been praying? 
And I often pray when I lose my flame, my affection for my Lord, is Lord, would you return to me the joy that I had when I first came to know you? Would you restore to me the joy of my salvation, my joy in my relationship with you? And if I'm not running after you, I'm always running after something else. So would you, by your Holy Spirit, show me then, if I'm not chasing after you, what am I running after? And would you lead me in paths of righteousness? So that's what we're here today, is we're to, we're to repent, we're to receive fresh pardon, and, and to get reconnected and refilled, to go back out and be ambassadors, right? So do that today. If that resonated with you, do that. Pray that prayer today. The best way to steward our salvation is to run just as we are continually to our Savior who gave us that gift. Let's not lose the giver in the gift. The second point of how we steward our salvation is we don't, want to, we don't want to take credit. We don't want to steal credit for the gift of salvation. Here's what I've seen. I've seen this tendency in ministry, and I've seen this tendency in my own life, is uh, Jesus heals us when we're a hot mess, right? He saves us when, man, we couldn't get our act together, and life is tough, and we're down on our luck, and all this stuff. But then all of a sudden, Jesus comes. You come to give your life for Jesus. You're filled with the Holy Spirit, and you're changed. He actually changes you. He breaks dead things back to life. He brings back, he, he heals up broken hearts. Jesus begins to heal. And then all of a sudden, as you're, remember we talked about the Ephesians story, you're seven years separated from your, your crazy hot mess self. And then all of a sudden, you, you got some skills. You got a new job. You got a great calling. Maybe God's gifted you with a beautiful wife and family and home. And, and you have some amazing career success. And all of a sudden, you begin to think this. Man, look what I've done. Man, I can't believe what I've accomplished. Wow, this is awesome, right? And pride begins to creep in to our lives. We would never admit that. Of course, everyone's really quiet right now. No one would ever dare admit that you're partially trying to take credit for your success in your life on the other side of you coming to know Jesus. How quickly we forget where we were and where we would be apart from Jesus coming and saving us and healing us and delivering us. And so the refrain is, look at what I've done, look at what I've built, not look at what Christ has done, look at what he's built, look at his workmanship. And so our refrain has to be this in 2 Samuel 7, 18. Look at how David responds on the other side of him being seated and enthroned as the king of Israel. Remember we talked about last week, how not only have we been made alive, we've been raised up, but we're actually in a mysterious way in the spiritual realm, in the heavenly places, seated with Christ in the heavenly places? How do we respond on the other side of that? We prayed this prayer that David prayed. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said this, who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me so far? It was God who did it. God, you through the prophet Samuel, you seek me out. I almost got overlooked, but then you kept telling, not this guy, not this guy, not this guy. If you know the story, there's eight of them, and then finally, I think it was the ninth David was, little David, that's the coming king. The Lord shows it. David knows that apart from God's pursuit of him, God's grace over his life, he never sits in that seat. And, he, and then his response is, is not, look what I've done, look what I've built. It's, who am I, God, that you've brought me this far? He didn't forget. He didn't forget where he would be apart from God's intervention in his life, God seeking him in his life. He stays humble. He doesn't want to take credit. He knows that this was all God's doing, not his own. And David here Remember, we exist for the glory of God. He doesn't want to steal any of God's glory, right? We would never want to kind of get fully in the way, but we kind of like partial credit, right? Sneak in a little bit, you know, get a little bit, just a little teeny bit, a little teeny bit of pride. Well, what is pride? Pride is plagiarism. Plagiarism. Google defined as such. The practice of taking somebody else's work or ideas and passing them off as one's own. Woo! Pride is plagiarism. We're Christ's workmanship, not our own. It's his hands that, that, that made us new. Right? And if we're here today and, and we're forgiven of our sins and God's redeemed us and rescued us and he's blessed us, he's showered blessing upon blessing, of horizontal blessings, earthly blessings upon us, it is all the grace of God. And our refrain has to be, who am I, God, that you would be so kind to me? You have not dealt with me according to my trespasses. Pride is plagiarism. It's stealing what belongs to God alone. It's trying to stamp our name on Christ's workmanship. Like, yeah, I also contributed a little bit, right? No, that's not how that works. And pride is so dangerous. Pride is so demonic and evil and antithetical to the gospel that the Apostle Paul carpet bombs pride in our text today. 
I mean, just, just straight up carpet bombs it. And we're going to look at all the phrases here in our text. In case, in case anyone here was wrestling with pride, which we all are, I am too, uh, this is what we need to hone in on. It says in our text, by grace you have been saved. Grace is you and I getting what we don't deserve. That's grace. Salvation is not our wages. It's not God's due to us. We don't want God to give us the wages of our sin. He's actually placed that upon Jesus so that we get grace. Secondly, we see in our text, Paul says explicitly, this isn't your own doing, all right? God did this. You didn't do this, okay? Unless a drowning man can take credit for drowning and being saved, then you can take credit for you being saved by Jesus. This is not your own doing. Next one. It is a gift of God, right? You don't earn a gift. It's the very definition of a gift. That's wages. A gift is something you don't deserve that someone freely gives to you. It's a gift of God. God has given you this gift of salvation. Next. And it's not, in case there's any you know, ambiguity, it's not a result of your works. It's his nail-scarred hands, not your hands. It's the work of Christ. Secondly, so that no one can boast. The refrain we sing today is, I will boast in Christ alone. His righteousness, not my own. And then secondly, uh, not secondly, there's like five, eight points up there. So we are, <laughs> so we are, emphasis here, this is what I emphasize, his workmanship. We've talked at length about God sealing us with his spirit, branding, identity, right? In Ephesians 1, we've been sealed with the spirit. That's a brand, that's a mark, right? Where his workmanship in, implies value and purpose. But what I want to highlight here is that we are his workmanship. We are the result of somebody else's work not our own. And lastly, we've been created in Christ Jesus. If you were to ask the question, hey, how did you come into existence? What did you do to contribute to you being born? Nothing. Right? All of a sudden, just, I just showed up. Y'all just showed up, right? That was because God spoke, he created, and then he created us to reproduce, and then all of a sudden, through generation, generation, all of a sudden, you and I just, bam, we just entered human history. Did I contribute to that? No, salvation is a new creation. So just as much as you can't take credit for coming into ex existence physically, you can't take credit for coming into existence spiritually. I can't take credit for creation. Like, I've been created. I can't take credit for my new creation. But God's, God's in all glory be to God alone. The reason this is such a big deal is because of how toxic and evil pride is, especially in the redeemed of God, especially with the people of God. And... Um, Here's why. Pride seeks to dethrone God and enthrone ourselves in his place. Pride seeks to dethrone God and enthrone ourselves in his place, right? Because the whole purpose of creation, the whole reason we exist is to look at God and what he's like and his character, his nature, what he's done, and just be blown away and live for him. And then, and then tell everyone, hey, do you see what I see? Come, you got to check out this God. Look at him, right? And what pride does, instead of us living to glorify God and focus on God, we, we flip that around. And what pride does is in our pride, we want God and others to look at us. Say, look at me. Look at how great I am. Look at how awesome I am. Look at how accomplished I am. How successful I am. How smart I am. How funny I am. How mighty I am. Don't look at God. Look at me. Woo! That's dangerous there. Right? That's pride. And, and we all struggle with that, and it's really deceptive, and we're all kind of blind to our own pride. It, it changes how we view God, and it changes how we view others. Instead of living to point everyone, get your eyes on Jesus for saying, all eyes on me. You too, God. God, you look at me, and others, you look at me. And you, you others from, I'm on this stage, you others from way down there, you look at me because I'm better than y'all. Right? It just completely flips everything that we're supposed to be about as followers of Jesus. And so with our relationship with God, it creates this toxic sense of entitlement towards God that all of a sudden we think that God's indebted to us because of how awesome we are. That God owes us, not we owe God everything. God owes us everything because we're so awesome. And secondly, it, it leads to disdain towards others. And the parable that Jesus shares is beautiful about this is Luke 18, 9 through 14. You can kind of tell I've been reading through the gospel of Luke in my time because all I'm sharing is, <laughs> it's one of my favorite gospels. All right. Jesus also told them his parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. You see that? Pride, inevitably, it's impossible for you not to be proud and to look down with disdain and contempt towards others. So Jesus teaches us this parable. Two men went up to, into the temple to pray, 
one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. You would look at the Pharisee and you say, that man's a man of God. He knows his scriptures. He's actually memorized the first five books of the Bible. Probably more than that. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I hope he wasn't praying out loud. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. You know, like just what a, like, I mean, the irony, like clearly Jesus had a sense of humor sharing this, right? Like, like, look at me, God, I'm awesome. I'm not like this lowly sinner, you know? Like what's he doing? He's saying, God, look at me. God, look at me. Look at what I've done. Look at all the other fools that I'm not like. Look at all the things that I've done. Now you owe me, God. Now I got you in my pocket. Now, you gotta, now, now, now I have a sense of entitlement where my life has to go well now because I've done some things and you owe me. But that ain't how that works at all, right? That's a mess. And so then Jesus says, this is, this is the one who leaves justified from that prayer. The tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He was aware of how desperate he needed God to forgive him of his sins and set him free from what he was struggling with. He was aware, but he wasn't blind to it. And Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. God doesn't need us to flex, right? God just needs our hearts. And where we go, the way we run from the healer, the way we run from the savior, is we think now it all depends on us and we have to flex, rather than going just as we are to the throne of grace, saying, God, I, I can't do this without you. And, I, and, and actually, I can boast in my weakness because actually when I'm weak, then you are glorified as my strength. And so when people say, hey, how are you able to do this? It wasn't me. That was the Holy Spirit in me. That was God in me. And there was this guy, I'll conclude this and we'll move to my last point um, here is, uh, growing up uh, in youth ministry, uh, there was, uh, my, youth, my first youth pastor was this Marine, this jacked Marine. This guy was massive, okay? We called him Colossus. And uh, he's, way, he's, got a, he's got a stellar career. He's, I forget how he retired, but anyway, just crazy. He's just a boss. He's just like, you look at this guy, he's a boss. He'd run, he'd run Iron Man's and, and all this stuff, but he loved Jesus. He absolutely, genuinely loved, he's like this gentle giant. Like, he could pick you up, he never did this, but pick you up by your collar and just, you know, like, hold you there if you want, a little junior higher. And you idolized him, but he'd always say this line, and I remember, I was like, that's not true. And then, and then, I, then I started walking with Jesus, and I realized, no, that's exactly true. He goes this, he goes, if you, because everyone would always talk, you know, you know, whatever. He had a lot of reasons to boast in the flesh, let's just say that, all right? And he would say this, because the Lord saved him out of a lot of brokenness. He knows. He didn't forget the Lord saved him out of a lot of brokenness. And he said this. He goes, if you see anything good in me at all, it is not me. It's what Christ has done in me. And that's our heart posture. No matter how far along in our journey with Jesus, how far removed we get from our old self and our old self ways and our, and our new self, the, the refrain of our lives, if you see anything good in me, that's the Spirit's work inside of me. It's what Jesus has done. And what we're doing when we say that, we're saying, I'm going to exit stage left. I'm going to go low. All eyes to Jesus. And then if you're not a Christian, what he's done for me, he can do for you, right? That's the source of hope. I'm not the source of hope. The healer is the source. Let me point, let me talk to you, you about him. So my second point is this. That's the attitude we should adopt, right? Who am I, Lord, that you've brought me this far? We don't want to take credit. We live our lives on the other side of salvation, to point everyone to the Savior who saved us, which leads us to their next point. Let's not let this gift stop with us. Don't let this gift stop with you. The best way to steward the gift of salvation is by giving it away. That's how you steward what God has given you. Time, talents, treasures, uh, all the spiritual blessings is you, you share it. You give it away so that others can enjoy what God has given you. Verse 10, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So it begs the question, what are these good works, right? What could this be? And I think it's simply this. There's a, there's a lot of, not debate. I mean, we, we know what it is, right? Just go read the New Testament and see what God wants us to do. But a simple way to put it is this. The good works are this, is, is whatever Jesus Christ has given to you, he wants to give to others through you. That's the good works. Whatever God has given to us in Christ Jesus. He wants us to give to others. He wants to give to others through us. And so the primary source of our ethic in life, the primary source of why we behave the way we do as followers of Jesus is we first look to God and what he's done for us and who we are in Christ Jesus. 
and we look to God and say, what has God been like towards us in the giving of his son? And I'm going to see how God has treated me, and now I'm going to go treat others. Why, do we be, why are we a people who are encouraged to forgive others that when they sin against us? It's because God has forgiven us. When we sin against it, why, why should Christians be the most hospitable people on the planet Earth? It's because God has pulled up a chair for us and welcomed the stranger, the orphan, at his table forever to feast with him. Why are Christians, the stats are so high for Christians adopting orphans? Because, because God adopted us when we were orphans. We've been adopted into the family of God, right? Why should Christians be known for their compassion towards the broken and towards the hurting? Because that, was how, that is how Christ has dealt with us in our brokenness. He's ministered to us in our needy state. He didn't keep his distance. He came running. Everything that Jesus has done to us, he wants to do through us. And the line I want to hone in on as I was kind of praying through and prepping for the sermon. It was just interesting, this line of, um, if you can throw out verse 10 again, was we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. And then the next line is that we should walk in them. And I don't know about you, but when I think of work, <laughs> I'm like checklist, man. You know, like, all right, I'm going to finish this project. I'm going to check this thing off the list. And if I were writing this, I would have said, for we are as workers created in Christ Jesus for good works, that we should complete them. That we should finish these works. That we should check them off the list. And then this thought came to mind. I was like, oh my gosh, Nick, God hasn't called us uh, to projects to finalize, but to people to walk alongside. That's our calling as believers. It's a relational calling. God simply, the shepherd, the savior who has walked alongside us in our journey, he entered into our brokenness and he didn't leave us once he healed us, but now he's walking alongside of us. The greatest joy and privilege of our lives is who God has invited us now to walk alongside that's the good work. That's why we walk along, that we should walk in them, is you're walking shoulder to shoulder with people in their, in their journey to Jesus and their journey with Jesus. It's relational. It's not projects to check off the list. It's relational. It's beautiful. That encouraged me. I hope that encourages you. And the, and the, and the beautiful thing about all this is that um, we being called... Well, hold on, I lost my place in my notes, sorry. <laughs> the most loving thing we can do for other people is giving to them what Jesus has given to us. And what's beautiful about that is that when we do that, when we do that, God continues to give that gift away. You see God begin to work. Let me illustrate it this way. So in Luke 8, and I'll slowly wrap up with this. In Luke 8, there is a story of Jesus healing a man who is heavily demonized in the region of the Gerasenes on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. And uh, it's a long text. I'm going I'm to uh, uh, paraphrase it and then share a couple verses at the end. But this man was living in caves and was among the tombs, and he was heavily demonized. He was cutting himself. He was, he was a threat to himself and to others. So the townspeople tried to keep him in chains and bound, but he would break through those chains. And it was just awful. This guy's lot in life was terrible. He was, he was literally bound until that day where Jesus entered uh, that region, stepped on the shore, and this man comes running uh, towards Jesus, and all of a sudden, I'll spare you uh, all the details, but there's this powerful deliverance. This man gets powerfully set free. These demons are manifesting. They're speaking. Uh, Jesus is commanding them to leave, and they all leave, and they rush into a herd of pigs, which is a whole other story for another time, and then all those pigs drown. It was just this wild, crazy scene, right? Hey, my name's Jesus. Welcome to the, you know, the region of the Gerasenes. And all of a sudden, crazy stuff's going on. And this man now is sitting clothed and in his sound mind. Jesus did for this man what he could never do for himself. He gave this man back his life. He gave this man back his life. He restored him to sanity. And this is where the story picks up. And the reason I'm sharing this is, is what we see this man do on the other side of his deliverance. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man whom the demons had gone. And sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, they were afraid. They weren't as afraid of this man when he was insane and demon-possessed. They were more scared when he was in sound mind because they knew that they couldn't do anything to fix this guy because what this guy needed was a spiritual force that was more powerful than the spiritual force that was, kept this man in chains. And that's what Jesus came to do, destroy the works of the devil, 1 John 3. Sitting at Jesus, he clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. And then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them. They asked Jesus to leave. 
for they were seized with great fear. So Jesus got into his boat and returned. And then verse 38, the man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with Jesus. Like, Jesus, send me in the boat with the disciples. I want to go with you, right? He's trying to, which here's what's fascinating, right? As he's go, he, doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't want to lose the giver of the gift. He got set free, and now he wants to hop in the boat, right? Like the leper that came back, and that's a beautiful thing. But that's not it. That's not what Jesus had for this guy. The first missionary sent to this region was a formerly demon-possessed man. And this is what Jesus says. Jesus sent him away saying, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Why, why, why share that? Why need to share that weird deliverance story? So I was this crazy guy naked in the cave, and, and then Jesus came and set me free. And all, Why do you need to share that? Because what Jesus did for this man, he wants to continue to do through this man for other people. He doesn't want the deliverance to stop with this man. He wants that story to keep going. And, and this, guy didn't even, this guy didn't even get a, a vote, right? He was changed. And so everyone, everyone who knew him, has to go, would see him, if they didn't know the story, say, what happened to you? You are different. I know you. Especially his family. I know you. There's something different about you. What happened? What is he going to say? So I read this great self-help book by this Navy SEAL, and uh, I broke the chains off my life, and I got, that's not what he's going to say. He said, let me tell you about a person and what he did for me. What he did for me, he can do for you. Let me tell you about Jesus. And so if he goes and takes credit for this, if he goes silent because he's embarrassed, he doesn't want to be known, like, if you've got to share a deliverance story, it's embarrassing, right? There's no pride in that. There's, I was just a demonized dude, but Jesus set me free. And there's no deliverance unless you share about what you've been delivered from. So Jesus says, you go tell everyone. You go tell everyone what I've done for you, right? But if he goes silent, Jesus isn't glorified as deliverer. Jesus isn't glorified as the king, the king of the new kingdom that is breaking in to the, to the prince of the power of the heir's kingdom and toppling that kingdom. Jesus, if we go silent on what Jesus has done in our life, we're stealing the credit and the glory that's due his name as deliverer, as savior, as healer. We've got to testify. You've got to tell somebody what Jesus is. And then secondly, all the people in that city, like you, you better believe, as he told them this story and they knew him, uh, uh, you, you don't want to read too much into the text, but I imagine he started doing what Jesus started doing to him and people are getting set free left and right of demonic oppression. And so all of a sudden now, the workmanship of Jesus, so let me, let me share this line. I hope I wrote it down. I wrote it down somewhere else. My goodness. Pray for your pastor. I'll find it somewhere. I'll find it tomorrow. All right. You are created in Christ Jesus. You are his workmanship. So that the work that Jesus has done in you, he can continue to do through you for other people. That's what your workmanship means, is you do the same works. What Jesus has done to you, you are his workmanship to continue. The, that's, what the, that's why the church exists. We're, like Jesus Continued. There's a really good book by J.D. Greer called J Jesus Continued. Go read it, okay? And the church is Jesus Continued. This, what I have done, now you continue. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, Lord, let your name be glorified. Let your kingdom come. Um, the Lord can sovereignly manifest that, but the primary need, means of God's kingdom advancing is through the spirit-yielded, the spirit-filled church of God, going and continuing to do what Jesus did. And so there in, in, in the region of the Gerasenes, there was person after person, family after family, that had demonic oppression broken off of them as this man went and testified to what Jesus had done. Lives were being changed. And um, this story resonates with me because um, in October of, of 2019, some of you know my story, and um, I didn't want to share this, but I felt the Lord wanted me to share this, and I'll be brief. Um, is that I actually got powerfully set free from demonic oppression in my life. I didn't know I was demonized. I was actually, I, I was under a lot of demonic oppression in my life. I was uh, struggling with a lot of self-hatred, uh, suicidal thoughts, and an addiction I couldn't shake. Um, and I was giving it my all. I was a follower of Jesus. And there came a day in my life, in October of 2019, when Jesus powerfully delivered me um, from oppression that I didn't know was there. It was evil. It, it manifested in my life, similar to, to this story, um, and uh, it just happened. I didn't seek it out. I'll spare you the details of how that all came about. And so all of a sudden, on the other side of that deliverance, on October 5th, uh, 2019, I feel lighter. Voices that I thought were my own have left. Now, disclaimer, if you struggle with depression or 
addiction or anything like that. I'm not saying it's demonic. It could just be you and your thoughts. But as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we believe in an unseen kingdom. We, we have to have in our framework demonic, and that demonic actually can have influence in our lives, right? Um, and we'll talk more about that in Ephesians 6. And so when I got that deliverance, and it took hours upon hours upon hours, I'll spare you the details, but it wasn't cute, it was ugly. I got power, Jesus powerfully set me free, and I want to testify to that. And when he did, the thoughts left, the suicidal thoughts left, the addiction left. I was a brand new man, so much so that my, I went and I told my family, and my, and my even, even extended family members said, what happened to Nick? He's different. And all of a sudden, I'm, I've entered into this new this new Christianity where I'm going, oh my gosh, this was all real, and Jesus actually, like what Jesus actually did in the Gospels, he's still doing today, and now I just entered into this, so how do I steward this? And because now I have to embarrass myself, and embarrass myself, it's not about me, right, but share like, hey, like I was that crazy bound guy that actually Jesus set free, and it was demonic. So what do I do? And so I was praying, and I was like, Lord, like how do I steward my story? What do I do about my story? And the Lord told me clear as day, he goes, it's not your story, it's my story. It ain't your story. Let's change that language. It's my story. And then, and then it was this. You will go wherever I tell you to go, and you will say whatever I tell you to say because it's an issue of my glory, not yours. And that's how you steward it. You don't keep it to yourself. And the reason I share that is not to bring any credit to myself, but as I have prayerfully and, and, and wisely and sought counsel with the elders and, and all this stuff taught about, thought about how we share this, we've started a prayer ministry at our church uh, two years ago. And all because God powerfully touched one individual, we have seen hundreds of lives change, people who are under demonic oppression set free. We have stories coming out of our prayer ministry just from this year alone of people, I mean, powerfully getting delivered from demonic oppression. Jesus is setting people free, and one individual in particular, and then I will slowly wrap up with this, uh, in February, I believe it was, late January, early February, he was an alcoholic. He had three kids, beautiful wife. He was living out of his car. His wife was like, I'm done with you. This is, this is why we want to talk about this. He was hopeless without hope. Somehow through the grapevine, he got a hold of us. Hey, there's these crazy Christians who actually believe that Jesus is alive and he still heals people from demonic oppression. Why don't you go check it out? And for, for he makes an appointment, and about, I think it was about for three hours, he's manifesting demons. He's thrown up in a trash can, getting a bunch of stuff cast out of him, and the addiction leaves. And he's been sober since that day and on fire for Jesus and restored to his family. It's amazing. Yeah, that's what Jesus did. And now, watch this. This is beautiful. We are flooded with appointments because of that guy's life change. He, he, couldn't, he couldn't make it, like, I think, like a day or two without alcohol. I forget the, the length of your thing. It's over a decade that he didn't, couldn't make it almost like 48 hours without a drink of alcohol. He's, he's, been, he's been for months now so completely sober, but, on, but more than just sober, on fire for Jesus. So we've had like 20 appointments at this guy because he's telling everybody about it. His family's getting powerfully delivered. They're driving up from out of state. Last week, we had a craze. Someone got powerfully delivered. And in addition to that, watch this. This is, this is the heart of Jesus. He's calling his friends who are, he was in rehab with, who don't know Jesus. And he's telling them the story. Hey, you know me. You know how crazy I was. Let me tell you what happened, where I was, and what Jesus did. And now people over Zoom are giving their lives to Jesus, who he met in rehab, and are getting set free from demonic oppression and getting their lives changed. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's what Jesus came to do. Everything that I've shared is in the scriptures. It's actually the kingdom of God coming. It, go read Acts. Whenever, when, when the kingdom breaks into Samaria, go see what Philip was doing there. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. People getting set free. Jesus is magnified as deliverer um, when we press into that. And so with that said, I'll wrap up with this. And this is, this is one, I think this is why the Lord wanted me to share that. Because when I share this, certain people will get offended and I'm going to deal with that my entire life, and I, and I, and I, I get it, because I was once there. If I were standing before you four years ago as a recent graduate of Reformed Theological Seminary, I probably, with what I just told you, I would have run full sprint out of that door. So I totally resonate with you being squirming in your seat, maybe even being angry at me for sharing that. Um, I, I get it. I get it. But don't cancel me. Grab coffee with me, and let's chat, okay? Like, seriously, like, I want to tarry with you. I want to, I want, I want to help you on this journey. Um, but what, who I want to speak to today as if my story resonated with you at all. And the Lord's been speaking to you as I shared my testimony. And you know that you are under this, this compulsion for certain behaviors and, and thoughts and, and, and maybe self-hatred and suicidal thoughts, depression, all that stuff. I want you 
to consider to come and talk to us and schedule an appointment with our team for prayer. Um, it very well might not be demonic, but the Holy Spirit very well might come and heal up some, some brokenness in you that isn't demonic. But God wants to bring healing to your life. So that's why I wanted to do that. If I go silent, um, people don't get healed and they stay, they stay bound. And if you're here today and this resonates with you and you're bound and you might think that there's a demonic element to it, come talk to us. We, we would be honored to, to walk alongside you uh, in your journey to get the freedom that Christ has for you. So I'll conclude with this. Band, you can come on up. The good works that God has prepared beforehand. What's beautiful about this refrain is it's kind of like this. Our journey with God is taking your kid to work day. God has prepared for us good works in advance. So basically what that means is, is the places where God is inviting us to go are places he's already at work. The Samuel family, if you know the Samuel family, Jeff, uh, for work, he had to go to France. He's going to France in a couple weeks. And he's taking his family with him. Jeff is already going, something, going somewhere to accomplish something in another place, but he's bringing his family along with him. And the greatest privilege of our lives is to pray this prayer. You guys can uh, pray. I'll, I'll conclude with this. Is we want to pray this prayer. We want to say this, God, I don't want my salvation, my deliverance. I don't want what you've done to me to stay with me. So ask, ask God, where are you going in my life? Where are you working in my life, God? And instead of asking, am I going with you? Say, God, can I go with you is our refrain as children of God. God, let me go with you. Let me partner with you in the beautiful work that you've done in my life, God. Would you give me opportunities this week to go with you where you're working and see the work that you can do because the line of Judah is still on the loose. Jesus is still binding up the brokenhearted. He's still saving the lost. He's still healing the sick. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer as we prepare our hearts for communion. God, you've been so good to us. We bless your holy name, God. Thank you, Jesus, for seeking after us, for chasing us down. Thank you, God. You've been so good to us. You've been so kind. You've been so patient. You've been so compassionate, God. We thank you, Lord, for what you've done in our lives, Lord Jesus. And Holy Spirit, would you show us where you're going in our lives, God? The Christian journey that you invite us onto, it's a walk, it's a journey, meaning that you're going somewhere. It's not static, we're not staying still. There's people to go, there's places to see. You're doing a lot of things, God. You're on the move, and we want to go with you. And you're calling all of us, you prepared different things for all of us to step into this week. And so God, would you give us a, a heart of compassion for those you've placed in our lives. God, give us wisdom on, on when to share, what to share how to love them, God. But Lord, we want to go with you. We don't want to be left behind. We don't want to sit on our hands. We want to partner with you. You've prepared some stuff for us to walk in, God. May we walk in them today. Give us a, your Holy Spirit to do that, God. Empower us to do that, Lord. We, we bless your name. We thank you that you are still in the business of setting the captive free, Lord Jesus. You're still in the business of bringing dead things back to life, Lord God. So would you be magnified and, and honored in our, in our heart response today, Lord God? And the decisions right now that are, that are being made in prayer, uh, Lord Jesus. And so would you search us, Holy Spirit? Would you draw us closer to you? Would you give us eyes to see your love for us and where you're calling us to go?